You're listening to the American Soccer Analysis Show. Dude, you're, you're the Tommy McNamara of podcasting. It's great. Thank you. Wait, what? With your hosts, Ian Lamberson. If you say one more bad thing about Mike Grella, I'm going to cut you. And Harrison Crow. Patrick Mullins is what happens when you least expect it. Hello, everybody, and yes, welcome to the American Soccer Analysis Show. I'm your host, Ian, with me, as always, the post-Wayne Rooney signing Luciano Acosta of podcasting. It's Harrison Crow. Say hey to everybody, Harrison. I still maintain they should have stuck with Pete, uh, Patrick Mullins. <laughs> yeah, boy, that's a foolish take these days, isn't it? That's a tough hill to still die on, Harrison. I will um, die on it nonetheless. <laughs> nonetheless, unless you all. We do have special guests today uh, from Twitter.com. American Soccer Analysis, an expert on the New York City Football Club. Uh, you know I was at the Dummy Run. Uh, welcome, my friend. Welcome. It is so good to, to have you here. Thanks. It's good to be here. I am the, uh, for the record, Wayne Rooney's hairline of, of podcasting. <laughs> Wayne Rooney's hairline of podcasting. I love it. That uh, is amazing. You know, I think that we, if we kept a leaderboard, and I don't believe we do, but uh, right behind me and you on providing stat of the week would be uh, Dummy Run, uh, often. Uh, back when we were doing that, um, it was you know his his research and insightful analysis that that really cut to the heart of our our, our week's theme. So uh, it is it is of course very good to finally have you here in uh, in person uh, as sorts. My pleasure. All right. Well, we do have a lot to get into this week, including continuing our deep dive on playoff teams. Spoiler alert: it's going to be LAFC and NYCFC. Uh, but before we do that. Before we get into all of that, um, we do have a little bit of uh, noteworthy news, as it turns out. Um, and uh, Harrison, do you have any? Uh, you want to you want to share with us some thoughts on this on these recent United States men's national team call ups? Yeah, so I, I know this game means basically nothing, and we'll get into it in that in just a second. But real fast, uh, the U.S. men's national team announced their call-ups against Colombia, Peru. Uh, the keepers, Brad Guzon from Atlanta United, that got totally rolled by New York Red Bulls, and that was excellent. Uh, Ethan Horvath, uh, who apparently is still a thing, uh, still a thing? Yeah. Uh, Club Bruges, uh, Zach Steffen, uh, Columbus Crew. It, it, I guess this is a good group of keepers. Anyone missing? I kind of feel like it. I feel like Tim Melia should be the Nick Romando of this group. Well, I don't think Brad Guzan. I don't think we ever need to see Brad Guzan again for the United States men's national team. I, I don't. I don't understand why he's continuing to be a part of these call ups. Um, but that's fine. As for who are missing, Matt Turner. I don't know. I mean, you need the experience bet, right? If it's not Guzan, who's it going to be? Do you need experience? Like, what experience are you talking Like, hey, this is how you check in at the hotel? Like, what type of experience are we talking about? I think specifically with keepers, right? Keepers peak later than everybody else. They get more from that experience, how to organize the line, how to lead the defense. I think Guzan can teach Stefan that. I have no idea about Horvath. Um, I see some value to that. I mean, just like as a sort of elder statesman, I guess I don't have a problem with his inclusion in this group. Um, but Assume, definitely, I don't... assuming he 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 kind of 
acquiesce to that type of request. I think that's a request that you'd have to make as the new head coach of the U.S. men's national team, which, uh, as, as we right now know, Dave uh, Sarkin is not. So, Do we know that, though? Well, well do, I mean, he's not been know? named it. It doesn't mean that he won't be. Yeah. Uh, God. Uh, it could forbid, be. It's entirely but, plausible that he could just wind yeah. up being the coach. Um, I don't know. This seems fine. Again, I hate to be this guy at that prop, but like, who cares? It's Colombian proof friendly. All with, right, we'll get to that uh, in just a coach. second. Sit down. Be All quiet right. about your your boohoo uh, U.S. men's national team. Let's talk defenders. John Brooks, Wolfsburg, Reggie Cannon, FC Dallas, Cameron Carter, Vickers from Swans, uh, Swansea City, Aaron Long, New York Red Bulls. Does anybody say Swansea City? I, I feel like it's just Swansea, right? Just Swansea. Yeah. Uh, Matt Miazga, uh, his uh, friend, uh, League Un, uh, not, is it Niantes? I don't, I don't, I don't know how to eat nonce. Uh, Anthony Robinson, Wigan, uh, Ben Sweat, the New York City football club that we're going to talk about here shortly, and uh, the lovable DeAndre Yedlin. Um, hey, dummy. Uh, why don't you tell us all uh, how you got blocked by him and what your thoughts are on Ben Sweat? Sweat, my buddy, my, my friend. Ben Sweat is the first person that I know of who has ever blocked me on Twitter. And he did this. This, this was entirely his fault. Uh, I don't know if you watched the, the NYCFC Minnesota game. It, from my, my understanding, it wasn't a great game for the defense. It, it, specifically for Ben Sweat, it was probably the lowest point of his career. But what he appears to have done is to have gone on Twitter and searched his name after that game, which, you know, that's just poor life planning. And uh, yeah, yeah he, he, he saw some jokes. He blocked me, uh, which, you know, fine. Like athletes take a lot of shit on Twitter. They don't have to read that. I understand. But what it did do is, is make me go and do a whole lot of research to back up my case that Ben Sweat is, in fact, bad at defense. And I'll be happy to uh, to share that later on in the podcast. So. That's really interesting when you consider the fact that we're about to go against two really good uh, offenses that both have really good wingers uh, on that specifically are catered to his side, right? Well, you know, really it's it's Ronald Matarita's side, and I think people have kind of forgotten that as Mata has been moved around by Delme to the wings in the midfield, but he is our number one left back, and, and Sweat has played more minutes there this season, but I don't think he's the one who's going to be there in the playoffs. Well, Matarita, uh, forgive me if I'm wrong, uh, and we can get into this in a little bit, but it, it seems like he's been a little bit of a winger, a little bit of, I don't know what the hell he is. Yeah, he's, he's definitely a, a utility guy. And, you know, coaches have those guys, and Delmi has, has decided he can trust Mata pretty much anywhere on the field. I don't see it myself, but I think when, when it comes down to it, right, when you've got a full-strength lineup, Mata is the left back. So... Uh I I oh, I like I like Ben Sweat. That's all. That's all I wanted to say. You know what? I like Ben Sweat too, and I wish Ben Sweat liked me. <laughs> he's, he's, so... he's he's really good on the ball. Uh, he's you know he's good at making interceptions. He's good at defending upfield. He's bad in the defensive third. That's it. You know. And that's it. I I think that that's not necessarily bad in and of itself. I think that could be really useful. Maybe not as a World Cup left back right like this international left back but a for um b team squads and those 
will have occasions and then also understanding who is the depth who is true depth behind Anthony Robinson I think you have to know that it is something that I kind of got into discussion with uh, earlier this week is it's going to happen to where guys are going to get injured they're going to be unavailable for call-ups and you're going to have to go with a B slash C team in certain areas uh, certain positions and roles and you have to know who those guys are and it's okay to find that out in games that are meaningless or and, and just kind of get some idea of you know trying them at in occasions like this just i don't think yeah no it's fine i don't think anyone's expecting ben sweat to be on the the next world cup roster or anything like that but uh uh, for an MLS player, for an MLS left back, I think that the, the MLS left back field is overall lacking um, at the moment. Uh, you know, I, I think he, he is, has shown himself to be uh, on the on the better side of that, that argument. And uh, I, I can see why someone would give him a look in at something like this. And again, a match that could not matter less. I mean, could not it, be less important. Yeah, like it, it doesn't matter much. That's what, like, maybe he'll play against Peru or whatever. But if we're, if we're calling up... MLS left backs. Why are we not calling up George Bello? Why are we not calling up somebody who has potential to actually contribute to this team down the line? Because Chris McCann's way better. Oh no! Oh, George no. Bello, who's, who's uh, you, team you was caused this. By I, the Red Bulls, by the way. You caused that. You. We were not supposed to go down this road. I know. I, I know. blame All you. Right. All right, All right. midfielders. It failed. Let's have it. Kellen Acosta, the Colorado Rapids. The Colorado Rapids. I still Tyler get Adams. Eyes. Yeah. New York Red Bulls. Jonathan Amon, uh, I'm not... Norjaland. Yeah. <laughs> Say that again? Norjaland is going to be my guess. Yeah, that's that's a great, great guess. Michael Bradley, Toronto FC. Jillian Green, uh, Western McKinney. Christian Pulisic, Kenny Saif, Will Trapp, Timmy Weah. Timmy Weah, midfielder there, Ian. I'm just going to insert this out of me banging my head on a desk, and we'll just let that suffice for for the way that that went. I love how last week, or was it, I guess it was a couple weeks ago, where I said I don't think that they're stupid enough to try and force Tim Weah to be a, a, an outside midfielder. And then, like, the second we hit stop on record, you're like, they started Tim Weah at outside midfielder. Uh, um, again, I, I assume at this point, like, it's just... Um, Experimentation. I really don't want this kid to be another one of these players, these these fast, exciting, uh, flare guys that kind of have this identity crisis between being the main guy up top and also just being out pushed out wide. Um, I mean, didn't he literally tweet his identity crisis like last week? I don't know. <laughs> he was like pulling Twitter about whether whether he should be a forward or winger or what. Oh, well, that's not great. This is what I'm talking about. Uh, our striker depth is not so great so as to, 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 to push this guy out in the wing, in my opinion. Um, but if that's where he's going to get minutes right now, I guess it's better than, than nothing. But, uh, yeah, that, that was disappointing to see that go down last time. And I, I hope that he gets put up top a little bit in this next couple games. So I did some, some watching, uh, some more videos of, of what he does. And you know who he reminds me kind of of? Tell me. And keep in mind projection and the fact that he's younger uh, and the fact that this player probably is never going to reach the same heights, but there's potential. Eddie Johnson. You don't think Tim Way is going to reach the heights of Eddie Johnson? <laughs> Vice versa. I don't think I don't think Eddie oh. Johnson ever would, would have. He cracked under Fulham. Yeah, I don't. I, look. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. 
Um, well, I mean, Eddie Johnson was definitely a very aerial guy. I don't see a ton of that from Tim Weah, but, but it's it, go but on. It's not just aerial, right? Like he had sauce. Eddie Johnson had some swagger, and he had some he had some ability to make some moves on the pitch. And I just kind of in open field, I see some similarities. Um, yeah. That that was just something I, I people somebody made a, a, con, a comparison of and I forget what podcast this was but uh, way to Clint Dempsey after Dempsey retired and I started thinking about this a lot in the last two weeks uh, especially after kind of our initial discussion of him so it, it was something that just kind of I've been wanting to run by you um, so I'm not committing to that yet I, I'm going to take it under advisement and I will. I will reevaluate my feelings on that comparison. Oh, totally. I, I, I'm, yeah. just, uh, I'm, I'm not saying that's that's a surefire it's an interesting thing. Take. I just feel confident enough now to share that opinion to you telling me that I'm dumb and wrong, which, I mean, you told Fair enough. There it is. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, anything else stick out you here? I mean, I don't... Uh, Pulisic is obviously not, not going to play now. He's hurt, so... Right. Uh, I don't know if they'll call somebody else in or... Probably not even bother. Serious question, and I, we know better than to ask serious questions on this podcast, but why is Christian Roldan not here? Because I thought he was included until I actually looked at this, and he's not. That seems odd. I I don't think I answer these questions right. I have a lot of bias towards the Roldan family. Um, you but do, I, and that's uh, why I'm really careful to ask you this question. I would but at say, the same time, I thought maybe I was missing something. I would say that in his limited U.S. appearances, he has not been as comfortable uh, as he seems with Seattle, uh, where he seems very comfortable and very composed. Um, And I think there are probably some concerns about that, even though, again, he's been part of this, uh, you know, program in a very sort of tumultuous time. Um, So... I can just sort of see him maybe getting called up if the, with, with Pulisic's injury. I think he's probably the next guy out on that list. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I just think he hasn't really impressed at that level yet and until he has kind of a, 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 a kind of, a, I don't know, a statement game. I think he's going to kind of be on the outside of this group looking in for a while. See, and I, th- that's where the evaluation period of how we only evaluate guys, like once they reach this level – whether they're good enough to stay at this level. I think the evaluation process is so flawed, but that's my personal opinion. Um, I think that his talents are probably a better fit this group than Will Trap. Uh, not to say that Christian Roldan is better than Will Trap, and I'm sure you'd emphatically say, yes, he's better, Harrison. But uh... <laughs> uh, no, not, I mean, I, I think they're different players. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, exactly. And I think that that's that, that's the point, right? I think that Roldan's talents kind of mold this group or, or fit the mold a little bit better. If you are, if you're going, if you're going with that position, if you want that to be more of a destroyer type, running around, clogging up spaces, uh, moving into passing arteries, making tackles, yeah, you're going to want Roldan instead of Will Trap. Uh, if you want that to be more of a deep reliant kind of playmaker, sorry, Roldan, but that's going to be Will Trap every day. Uh, I guess we're still kind of in between these two ideas, like as a uh, you know nation right now. So we'll just kind of see how that shakes out. Fair enough. All right, for the Fords, uh, next we have. Is it Andrea? Andrea? 
I don't know yeah, how to say it. Yeah, Novakovic I think it's, it's Andrea Novakovic. Right. Wait, wait, first name? Andrea Novakovic. Andrea. No, I, I, I got the Novakovic, uh, kind of. Uh, I just can't say it because uh, I, I have no grasp of other languages. Um, and I'm a, not a great person. Uh Josh Sargent, of course, being the second person, and then Bobby Wood uh, being the third and final. I'm done and over with, with Bobby Wood. Like uh, they could, they could add in Teal Bunbury and uh, CJ Spong. I'd be fine with both of those. Um, yeah, thoughts? Yeah, I think that. I I I mean, I agree with you. I don't, I don't really. Um, I, I understand why Bobby Wood is someone they like. Um, I understand he's he, he's a you know a player in the Bundesliga. I mean he doesn't play that much, um, but again like at, this is a position where I just think that the United States men's national team does not have a lot in the way of depth. Like this is very much spots that are up for grab going forward in these uh, next couple cycles, and I, I just don't. Um, I guess I don't like. I'm not a huge fan of Bobby Wood, but again I don't have like a ton of other suggestions right now that I think are, are like just glaringly more deserving of being there. Yeah. Like Novakovic, uh, I think he's had at least just kind of looking at, you know, what I see on Twitter and stuff. I think he's really interesting. I'm, I'm, I'd be all for him starting both of these games um, to be perfectly honest. Um, the, the thing about Bobby Wood is I don't think like he's like insanely bad. Right. I, I throw out two of it, uh, Bunbury and, and, and CJ Sapong just uh, because I think that they're again, it's about fitting pieces to the the tactical puzzle. And if we're gonna play this like four one four one type formation, um, it seems like we need somebody that's gonna be able to do a little bit of hold up and uh, also have some passing skills, which neither of those attributes are associated with Bobby Wood. Like you need someone just to run down and press or do some counterattacking. Bobby Wood is great in that role and in that scenario. And I think that's why he kind of has a spot within the U.S. men's national team pool. I don't think that that's, if that's what we want to continue doing uh, with this, what I, I, 4141 is kind of what they've been going with, right? I just don't see him fitting. Yeah. Um, and again, I just want to say, I don't care about any of this. <laughs> it's just a thing. Uh, so, w, yeah, so, I was gonna ask W, like, did you like, is there anybody that you think is just kind of glaringly missing from these call-ups that you're, you're just desperate to see out here? I, I, I do want to go back to this Christian Roldan will trap thing, because I, this is like blatant Pacific Northwest homerism here. Oh, what on earth would, would possess you to think that Christian Roldan deserves a spot over will trap? This, this was Harrison's case. I want to hear his specific answer to this question. No, I, I think that's totally fair. So, uh, number one, rolled on is it covers more ground. Uh, he He's, A, better at winning uh, one-on-one scenarios than Will Trapp. Uh, he's also better uh, – su- <laughs> he's better suited to playing uh, one, two-touch uh, type passes rather than long passes. So, it's – again, I don't think that he's better than Will Trapp. In fact, personally, I – really really like will trap i just think the the style of play that they're they're kind of tailoring themselves to right now um 
kind of exposes Will Travis, especially with Weston McKinney and Tyler Adams pushing up. It kind of exposes uh, Will Trapp. And look, Will Trapp, he has some holes in his game, especially at the international level, to where he's just not able to uh, to move around. And playing those short, quick, fast uh, pass and move scenarios, he's just not really eloquent or very good at. Uh, I think he's probably average, maybe even above average at it. But Christian Roldan is, and, and you know, I've watched a lot of Seattle games, so you know, there is absolutely a bias uh, towards him. But that being said, uh, I don't think that um, if the, I really feel like there's probably three or four other people that uh, are more tailored in MLS right now to that role than what Will Trapp is. And again, it's not because Will Trapp's bad. It's that what he's trying to do. Same with Bobby Wood, right? Bobby Wood and, and Will Trapp are probably linked on the same scenario. Like if you're going to play long balls to, to Bobby Wood, Will Trapp is the guy you want doing that. So that's, I mean, that's a compelling argument. I get the stylistic thing. Uh, I'm for, for, for me though, the, the stats just don't back up any strong case of, for rolled on over Will Trapp. Like Will Trapp is an outstanding passer. You and I were both just looking at, uh, his his pass scores per 100, that is how he exceeds the expected pass model time and again uh, on ASA's database in every direction. You know, pass quantity, he's the beating heart of that Columbus team. And then, you know, Ian was was suggesting that maybe he's more of a destroyer, and so I pulled up some some defensive stats here, and, you know, they're, they're pretty much identical across the board. Successful tackles, 1.57 to 1.73. Interceptions, 1.42 to 1.13. This is this season. 4.90 to 5.25 in recoveries. Like, they're, they're identical defensive stats, and Will Trapp is, is the better passer. He's the better passer in a specific system that's, you know, kind of built around him. But, you know, given what we know about how the uh, head coach search is shaping up, that may soon be the case at the national team level as well. Yeah, I mean, with this, uh, for, for the, yes, for the sake of this comparison, Christian Oldan's stats look a little bit funky this year because he's been played out uh, outside the filter instead of where he was last year, which was in the kind of defensive middle role uh, where he was extremely prolific uh, in defensive actions. So yeah, I, I don't doubt that those have gone down a bit, um, but I don't think that those are extremely reflective of his actual skill set, just sort of where he kind of fits into that Seattle lineup right now. Yeah, fair enough. Um, Anyway, I want I want them both there. I want I want I want both of them there, and I want them to be best friends and to make a buddy comedy and and uh, you know have special goal celebrations they do together. I'm a big fan of both these guys. I would watch. Hey, that. dummy, would it make you feel better if if we drop Kalen Acosta from from this and keep Will Trap? Absolutely, yeah. All right, we'll we'll do that. Uh, I'm I'm that that sounds like a far better scenario for all of us. All right, let's move on to Major League Soccer. Uh, 22 under 22 released this year, replacing the oft-criticized 24 under 24 uh, by dropping two players in two years. Um, honestly, like this list is fight bait to me. Like I just I feel like these things come out and it's just for people on Twitter to scream at each other and um, drive engagements. <laughs> and I, I think that um, 24 for 24 was much worse at it. Uh, but overall, I didn't have any problems with this list. I don't have it in front of me. Davies, number one, is obviously fine. Tyler Adams is obviously going to be up there. Yonghel Herrera. Um, I think outside of, like, the top three or four guys, it's really just kind of a throw-up. I mean, you're just... With throwing, quote-unquote, potential into the mix, like, it's anybody's guess, and it just sort of isn't a very 
um, I would say, prestigious uh, uh, award to be anything other than like on the top three or four of these players. So, I mean, it's interesting that you put the cutoff at four because we've got Ezekiel Barco sitting here at number six, and he was the most interesting to watch how he moved around, you know, from individual yeah. voter list to individual voter list. Some of yeah, them were... Uh, Go ahead. Yeah, no, he definitely was. Like, he's a very uh, divisive figure in Major League Soccer, no doubt. I mean, I, th- I thought that uh, the the trio of wingers in the top ten, you got Diego Rossi, number three, you got Barco, number six, you got Medina, number eight. Harrison, I, I don't remember. How did your, your winger rankings uh, come out on those guys? Uh, Rossi I had up there high. Um, who, Barco was, who was two. Trio? Barco was two. I remember that. So so they've got Rossi, Barco number three, was... Barco, six, Medina, eight. And I think you had Barco the highest, right? Yeah, I think I did have Barco really high, but the other side of it is I valued a few things that I don't think they value, right? They, I think the idea here is he doesn't beat enough players one-on-one in open field. He's not creating enough, and that that's such a that's such a hard thing to do when the majority of the touches go to Julian Gressel out on one side and then Almiron in the middle or Nagby in the middle or Joseph Martinez and for, as the final touch. So, yeah, if you're trying to beat guys one-on-one in that system, you're slowing things down, right? Yeah, exactly. And so I, I just I, – I don't – I'm less uh, about this stuff. He plays a lot of really quick, good, solid passes, and he contributes to the system um, that caters towards both Almiron and Martinez. Um, I'm more interested to see what he's going to be once uh, he slides A into the middle of the field, uh, whether he's going to continue to be able to hold on to the ball, uh, how many turnovers he's going to create because um, I, he's kind of a small dude. I, I, and some of the big midfielders, center midfielders are going to push him around, especially in the Eastern Conference. It'll be kind of interesting to me to see um, how well he can adjust to that, um, as well as, uh, you know, who's going to replace uh, Martinez and, you know, um, if both of those guys were to get sold on. So it's really hard to to dock him, and I I don't think it's necessarily fair uh, based on the season either. I think it's funny that a majority of people that don't like Barco are Atlanta fans. That I know, um, like well, you know, they they have some legitimate gripes there. They do, they do. I, I think he's mostly been better than I think a lot of people give him credit for. I think obviously, uh, you know, if you're you're coming at that price tag, you're taking up a designated player slot. Your 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 set of expectations is going to be higher. And generally, with designated players, MLS teams don't often use that slot on something that they see being something that pays off in a year or two. Um, so it, it's an interesting kind of uh, situation he's found himself in. I, I do think that, you know, he's he's good. I, I think if, again, this is the the list, once we say that potential is a criteria, like that's just made up stuff in our head. So it, it, you can kind of put him anywhere. It's easy to imagine yeah. him being the best player in the league or just fizzling out. I could see either one. Yeah. That's, well, that's the thing totally about good. potential is – it, it, it's kind of the eye of the beholder, right? People kind of make up their own uh, narrative when it comes to potential. And some of that is, and I say, you know, most people, I don't think scouts do that. I think a lot of scouts take things that they've seen uh, other players at 19 or 17 or 16. And, you know, they say, well, I've seen, you know, Christian Pulse do that at 16 and look at what he 
became he's not as fast but he has the same movement uh he has the same intuition wow i think that he could be really good so if he grows that physical part of his game right um so i I understand how some people do that so you know guys that um see a lot of uh, a lot of youth players and and can um kind of correlate that you know guys on the mls soccer uh website such as you know um Bobby Warshaw and Matt Doyle, I, I, I take what they say a little bit more seriously. Um, I know both of those guys don't love Barco, and that's my my thing is is and this is my argument against them. So it's not necessarily me railing against you know the uh, the, the quote unquote talk, other talking heads that are on the site that are there to build engagements. And you know I'm not saying that to necessarily be uh, crass or mean towards. Uh, anybody, I think that legitimately they have a job, and that is to to uh, create engagements and to create they're, they're uh, in the take business content. For sure. Yeah, yeah, and, and and so you know, just just being realistic. But I wanted to pose to you guys, like, if we were going to do this, um, how would you balance? The projection. I mean, as someone as someone that spent three days writing all those paragraphs on all those wingers, you know, I think lists are kind of dumb, and to <laughs> to rank them one by one is 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 silly because yeah, there there's a legitimate argument. There were so many different arguments that could be had that I have player A up too high, and then player B isn't high enough, or C. You know, how do you how do you take what a player can become and weight that versus some something that they are now. Yeah, I mean, I think, first of all, 22 is just way too many players to have on this kind of thing. Um, really? I, I felt like it wasn't enough. <laughs> okay. There, there were some interesting guys that got left off. Here. There were guys that got left off. But like, are they, like, noticeably rankable? I mean, I feel like after, again, after, like, five, six, like, I think you're kind of just, like, these are good players. This is a list of good players I like that are young. But... And, and I'm with Dummy here. Like, I already know who the top 10, top 15 players are going to be. I'm more interested in who those 15 to 30 are. Yeah, for sure. And, and not just, you know, how you have them ranked. But I want some inform. I'd like to know some information. Why is James Sands uh, ranked as high as what he is? You know, I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about that. Uh, why are, you know, um, why is Jalen Lindsay, you know, why has he risen up the ranks so quickly give us some content on that that's that's what i you know am interested in yeah absolutely going back to your question though for a second harrison about like how you rank these people you know this this is a stats podcast so i feel comfortable dropping some stats here like i singled out those three i singled out those three wingers because they're like so close like their xgxa per 96 is identical 0.51 0.50 0.51 uh now their X buildup is is very different. Um, I think. Yes. Let's see. Rossi has 0. 0.68 per 96. This is totally off the top of my head. So I think Medina's like 0.76. And then you got Barco, like you know one of the best uh, X buildup guys in in the game. And I, I think that's a that's a good way to start, you know, discriminating between these guys. But even if we're a total wash statistically, then you look at them and you say, got one guy who's 19, one guy who's 20, one guy who's 21. Now, you know, potential may or may not mean anything, but there's a reason why Barco costs $15 million and Jesus Medina costs $4 million. And that reason is basically just comes down to their two-year age difference, right? We're projecting what they well, could grow into. 
And I think you nailed it right on the head because that's kind of what I, you know, that, w- that was some differentiators for me when we started looking at this. But also, like, the passing, there's almost exactly as you talked about. Like, Medina is maybe a slightly below average passer. Maybe it's kind of uh, more related to the types of passes that he's uh that he's making um same with he's kind of in the same box as rossi and then you have barco who's a good notch above all that so for me that's why you know i look at it and say well he's creating the same types of chances both for and assist and then on top of it he's helping this world basically a near world-class uh attack uh who's basically breaking all of our records for xg um and he's a really good at assisting with it so yeah for sure i mean the the other side of the game that we would have to look at is, is defense and of course that's harder to quantify and you know we, we would have to watch some game tape to really assess that i think i think medina does a pretty good job in the press um like you said he's a little loose on the ball but you know i i, I thought top 10 rankings for all these guys are fair and like you said lists are arbitrary and they're just meant to piss people off so good job <laughs> yeah I can only hope that Arlo's pisses off as many people as as there does if we ever do make it. Um, We do have an article on the site. I should plug it real quick. Uh, Justin Lowry did do uh, a a youth American uh, analytics uh, starting 11 that that does have some of these uh, criteria in it. So uh, while we don't have an official 22 under 22 list, uh, we're going to do 34 over 34. Uh, We should, uh, you should visit the site if you do have an interest in that. Um, all right, we've got to move on. We've got to get to our deep dives. Uh, from now until the playoffs, every week we're going to take two teams, one from the West, one from the East. They're definitely going to make the playoffs. We're going to kind of talk about them and their prospects going forward. This week, we're going to start on the West Coast. Some people would say the best coast. Some people. Uh, Los people. Angeles Football Club, they currently sit third place in the Western Conference. Their playoff uh, percentage chance is 100, very high. Uh, they have an 8% chance at the number one seed, 24% chance at the number two seed, 45% chance at the number three seed. That's uh, looking like the most mathematically likely. Uh, 16% number four, 6% number five, um, and the six is a less than 1% chance. I'd say 32% chance at the first round by. They have no chance at winning the supporter shield. Oh. Um, yeah, and they got a pretty good schedule uh, sort of going in there. They've got Colorado away. Uh, then they host Houston and Vancouver and away to uh, another uh, team kind of in the top of these standings in sporting Kansas City. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I kind of feel like LAFC jumped on the scene early this year uh, through a ton of fanfare, uh, a lot of talk, a lot of narrative, a lot of hype. And then somewhere around the time they lost to Minnesota, they just kind of fell off of everybody's radar a bit. I don't know when that was, but yeah, this, it was, it seems like it was late spring, early summer and yeah, they, they did kind of fall off the radar, but they've still been good. And okay. So they're not echelon, you know, top tier echelon good, but they're a solid team. You know, they, they still have a chance at that buy-in. I think that game against Kansas city to end the season could be basically a a slug it out for that first round buy. And uh, with it being in Kansas city that, you know, that's going to be a tough game and it it's tilted and towards Kansas city. So um it's they've had a really good season so far um we'll get into a little bit more of the numbers here but uh so far you know they they have a really good chance so far looking into the playoffs yeah well they're definitely in the playoffs um and that's for an expansion team that's uh 
you know, that's a good return. Um, I, I don't think anybody can, can argue that they, they've earned that. Um, now, when we talk about them kind of stylistically uh, speaking, you know, they're a team that mixes it up a little bit. Uh, they've they've uh, used a 4-3-3 a lot. They've used a 4-2-3-1 a lot. Um, we've also seen like a 3-4-3 kind of on occasion. Um, I think that kind of one of the reasons, I think that, that in a weird way, it was like Diamande's injury that sort of coincided with their slight um, stint of anonymity there. And I don't think it's quite as long as, as all that. Um, but but he's back. Um, and, uh, you know, he definitely kind of burst on with, with some, some eye-popping goal-scoring numbers. So, uh, yeah, uh, you know, they, they're a team that's gone through a lot of changes already, uh, adding players in midseason, losing Lawrence Simon. Um, when I kind of like, I don't know, like stylistically guys, like when I, when I, when I say LAFC, like what, what do you kind of think of as like, what's this team's kind of identity? Yeah. So same, but, but I've kind of like checked in and out on LAFC season and, and I'm curious, has that changed? Cause you know, since K got hurt and Ottawa West, I got started to get phased in. I don't know if Ford does getting comfortable or not. Like, I feel like their midfield's been very much in flux, and it may not be the like kamikaze all attacking midfielder thing that I associate with them. Yeah, so I mean, like the, just looking over the last couple of the, couple games, and you know, I'll skip ahead a little bit. Um, you know, they went through that four three three. They started uh, Antiesis. Uh, they had Horta. They had uh, Fellhaber. Um, so it, it's not necessarily that all encumbering, like downhill running at you uh, midfield. But at the same time, you look against San Jose. They had uh, Lee Wynn, uh, Atiesta uh, in the midfield as well. Then they had Blessing, Rossi out wide, Vela up top, uh, Diamande up in the striker position. So, I mean, that was a little bit more downhill. So I think they're they're in the middle of kind of uh, really – trying to rotate those guys in there so that they all get a chance. Um, I don't feel like uh, Phil Haber's that number 10, but I feel like he's more than an eight. And I feel like he can't cover the ground that a six would. So I think he's kind of in, uh, something of an enigma for a midfield, but I feel like that's pretty much all their players. Uh, Wins not a 10, most certainly not an eight. Um, he plays a lot in the mid. He's played a lot more in the midfield, like in the staying central, than what I feel like he has in the past. In the past, I feel like he's kind of drifted out wide. Even though he's played that number ten for uh, for New England in the past, I felt like he kind of always kind of had a tendency to drift uh, inside uh, to either end of the eighteen. Um, so. I, I don't know. It, it feels like a really weird, just Jackson Pollock painting of midfielders. It's beautiful. <laughs> I, I it's think beautiful. it's really fascinating how many playoff teams are like still kind of figuring out their tactics in, in October, right? Like, yeah. What What oh, is their formation sure. going to be? How are they going to play? I I don't know. Well, um, and, and you say that I. I I think that that's really interesting because they did throw the four four two at out this past week, and I wouldn't be surprised if they did it again uh, at home in the playoffs. Like that makes sense, especially for Bob Bradley to kind of uh, you know play a little bit more um, full attacking 
Um, and, and I feel like a 4-4-2 does get you a few more people forward at, at in occasions, but allows you also to kind of play a little bit more defensively in certain scenarios as well. Um, so I don't know. It's 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 really cool. I think honestly, I think it's great that we have a uh, um, some coaches that are willing to you know change up their tactics for one game you know when last week we were talking about Jim Curtin who could not uh, just absolutely break away from his tactics all year for the one game against Houston um, that that really was um, in my opinion um, the downfall of Philly in the Open Cup final I love how um Four four two has become punk rock football now. That's just that's so funny to me. <laughs> right? Yeah, we're we're talking about the four four two as this attacking formation play at home. But you know, when you look at their their wingers are blessing and Rossi, like yeah, that's that's a pretty punk rock team. Yeah, they're pretty good. Um, I just I, like uh, to say that I've been playing four four two on FIFA nineteen, and I haven't changed that up at all. Like that's been my formation. So wow, I I, sort of, I this is my fad. You're the punk rock player of FIFA 19. Um, all right, let's look at team stats uh, for LAFC. Possession, 52%. Uh, expected passing for, they were sixth in Major League Soccer. Expected passing against, they were sixth in Major League Soccer. Expected goals for, sixth in Major League Soccer. Uh, expected goals against, 41.7, eighth best in Major League Soccer. And expected goal difference, 9.1, seventh in Major League Soccer. So really just are the sixth best team in Major League Soccer, I think we can safely say, right? That's uh, that's exactly where I've got them in my weird little power ranking thing that I do with XG. It's not bad. It's not too bad. Uh, anything stick out surprising in that uh, to you at all? Any of those numbers? Uh... I think for me, it's just that they're they're not overly uh, possession oriented. Um, I think that they are flexible, like we just talked about. They're sometimes they possess other times they're and it stands out to me like uh, when they went up to vancouver earlier in the season they just completely were like no vancouver you're the home team you have you know 60 percent possession and it was the highest possession i think we've seen uh vancouver have all year and it was brilliant because they just completely rolled uh vancouver at home uh, by giving them possession and they became the counter-attacking team and then you flip the script and you know at other times they've been a very heavy uh, possession-oriented team, uh, especially with the ball handlers that they picked up, such as Lee Wynn and uh, having Benny Fellhaber. Benny Fellhaber has been awesome. The one thing that stood out to me was the uh, what are they eighth in, in XG against? Like that's that's better than I would have expected from LAFC, and it seems like you know just casually glancing at them, it seems like they've actually gotten uh, more solid since they got rid of Simon. So I, I wonder whether they're on the upswing there. Yeah, uh, so this is a this is a really good point. I, I feel like last week I kind of patted ourselves on the back a little bit because you know with, we really our preview of this season was really spot on when it comes to like you know some of these teams like Sporting Kansas City, FC Dallas, um, Red Bulls, Atlanta. Those are easy ones to be like right on. I mean that's hard to beat. We all kind of saw that coming. Um, I was completely wrong on LAFC. I thought having Simon and, and Walker Zimmerman was going to, uh, and having unknowns at fullback was going to leave them completely uh, open to the counterattack. And the fact that they didn't have a defensive midfielder, like, stunned me. Like, I don't understand how they've 
manage to not be just absolutely abused on the counter. Um, I'm sure if I watch some tape, I could figure it out. But um, the fact that they haven't is is just shocking to me. And I think that speaks to the fact that Bob Bradley is just absolutely um, one of the best tacticians that this league has seen. All right. Uh, let's move on to individual leaders. Top expected goals. Carlos Vea, 9.3 expected goals. 23rd in MLS. Uh, top expected goals assisted. Carlos Vea, 7.7 expected assists. 11th in Major League Soccer. Top expected build-up. Benny Fieldhopper, 23.79. 9th in Major League Soccer. And the best expected passer, Walker Zimmerman, 57.1. 17th in MLS. Um, you know, in a league that doesn't have an Atlanta, that doesn't have a David Villa, Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Uh, Carlos Vea is probably an MVP candidate. I think he's been extremely good this year. Or Joseph Martinez. I said Atlanta. I count all of Atlanta's players. <laughs> Just one functioning machine MVP. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, all right, let's do this. Uh, our favorite time of the deep dive playoffs. Guys, I want each of you to give me one reason why LAFC will not make the MLS Cup final. Carlos Vela drops off. Goes missing. Gets kidnapped. Mm. Mm. Ooh, don't, don't say that. I don't want to be suspect if that happens. Sporting Kansas City I mean, better. Sporting Kansas City's better. That's a good reason. Uh, <laughs> Why do you really think Sporting Kansas City is better than LAFC? Is 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 that actually going to be contested here? I, yeah. It's not contested. He is. I think they're really it. even. I don't think that it's it's clear that one team is better than the other. I, I legitimately think it'll come down to um, small bits and pieces on the opposing field. I think Bradley is a better tactician than uh, Vermees, but I think both of their teams are so well orchestrated that it's... I think it comes down to Carlos Vela. That's, uh, honestly, that's what I think it comes down to. LAFC is an exciting team. They're a good team. Uh, I, I think after Sporting Kansas City, they're the only legitimate contender in the Western Conference. But to say that Bradley is a better tactician than Peter Vermes after Peter Vermes has, has been so consistently good, and and frankly, yeah, Sporting Kansas City is better. They're better in points. They're better in goal differential. They're better in expected goal differential. They're better in possession. Like it's it's not really that close if you look at the numbers. I think SKC are definitely more of a known quantity and more of a consistent product I think there's a much better chance that LAFC doesn't show up one day than there is that, that we get something we don't expect from Sporting Kansas City yeah Sporting um, has an identity they have a system right LAFC is still kind of figuring out what they are yeah yeah that's that's totally fair alright opposite question give me one reason why LAFC will make the MLS Cup final start I'll, with you Harrison I'll, I'll pull I'll pull the in Carlos Villa I mean, that's, I mean, that's exactly it. Like, the guy can just pull magic out. He's done it uh, three or four times over the course of the season. And while they've collapsed, and as you guys said, they, they just kind of not shown up or kind of just gone astray in the second half, um, the, the constant um, when, they're, when they are just absolutely at their best is Carlos Vela. I mean, he just absolutely uh, is astounding. And, and not just Vela, right? I mean... Diamond is great. Like Rossi is great. Blessing is great. They've, they've got more attacking firepower than anybody this side of Atlanta, and I think that's, you know, to the extent that offense wins championships, maybe they got a shot there. 
I, I, to just kind of summarize what both of you said and make myself sound smarter, uh, I think this LAFC definitely does. If they if they get far in this tournament, if they go all the way to the final, uh, it's going to be on the back of a lot of individual performances. And um, while I don't think that's as dependable as something like SKC, um, I, I, I do think that it has been shown that it can happen. And uh, I, I would hardly be, you know, knocked over uh, if, if if they won that big team coming there from the West. So, all right. Let's go, East. The reason we got you on here, W. Ron. Oh, man. All right. The New York City Football Club. Third place currently in the Eastern Conference. Been been locked in on that three seed for like a month now. It's not going anywhere. Yeah. Uh, Their chances of making the playoffs, 100%. Uh, Chances of making the one seed, 0%. Two seed, 0%. Three seed, 81%. Looks like like it's going to be three seed. Um yeah, no real chance at a first round by, no chance to support a shield anymore. Uh, a couple games left, DC United and Philadelphia. Um, I don't know. Uh, when, I, when I say New York City Football Club to you, I guess I want to go ahead and start by saying this, and this is kind of something me and Harrison have joked about, that if like you actually listened to these podcasts back, you would assume that I was a fan of New York City. Because I have nothing but effusive praise. For every New York that. City player, you're, and Patrick you're the Vieira. only person on the internet who, who has nothing but a few surprise for New York City. Right <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, I, I lit, uh, I lit vigils for Yonghel Herrera's legs. Um, oh God, um, he's but, coming but, back. Have you seen? I was going to say one could argue that Ian is solely responsible for his soon to be return. I know. Uh, well, the, not the fast enough. Yeah, not fast enough to save my nerd league season. But I'm glad he's going to be back for NYCFC. Oh, this, um, this was selfish. This was selfishly motivated. Oh, entirely. One hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, everything I do is. Uh, all right. So when I say uh, NYCFC, this is a team that has maybe two identities. Maybe things have changed a little bit since Vera left. I don't know. I'd be curious to say, like, uh, what do you consider the big differences since the coaching change? <laughs> How much time we got? You want to make this a four-hour podcast? We got about about four minutes. Okay. Yeah. So so four minutes. Um, they've gotten better. Really? They have gotten better. Okay. Nobody that's a, maybe that's a hot take. Better. That is a hot take. And this is why we have them on the podcast. Lay it out for me. All right. So, I mean, let's let's start with the basics, right? All of us believe in the gospel of expected goals. We believe that expected goals are more predictive of future performance than regular goals, right? They're more predictive yes. than points. We, we understand this. And Absolutely. If you, if you look at expected goals, like under Patrick Vieira, New York City FC in the first half of the season got a lot of points. They didn't get a lot of expected goals. That is, they weren't creating great chances. They were allowing maybe not so great chances. They were about eighth in the league, I think, in expected goal differential. Uh, under Domi, they are second in the league in expected goal differential per game. Uh, a part of that is uh, tactics. He's been much more attacking. He's emptied out the midfield, which Vieira tended to kind of congest with, with his 4 through 3 He would make this tight little ball in the back left side of the field. And Alexander Collins and Yamel Herrera and Alex Ring and Ben Sweat, all good players, all very good passers, would just kind of like have this little passing vortex going on back there, which doesn't get you any closer to the goal, and when you turn it over, does put you in a bad position. Uh, and this happened time and time again, and time and time again, NYCFC basically got lucky uh, from, like, March and April. They got some good wins. Then they got utterly destroyed by the Red Bulls when we went to New Jersey. Mm. Uh, and, and, you know, there was a month of 3-5-2 and just utter panic. And then, on top of all that, in the midst of the panic, Yonhel Herrera goes down for what looked like it was going to be the rest of the season. And, you know, the season was, was just a shambles. And yet, 
right then, June 9th, Patrick Vera's last game as coach. We played Atlanta at Yankee Stadium and had just, you know, a, a stellar performance. It, it wound up as a, as a draw, uh, but it was, you know, Atlanta had like maybe the sixth lowest XG of any team in the league in any game this year. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, this Atlanta United that, that we're talking about. This this was a great game. And he did it by essentially playing a 4-2-3-1 um, without Yonhil Herrera to make that 4-3-3 work. We had to find a different formation. Ebenezer Ofori uh, is the guy who kind of naturally slots in for Herrera, and he's he's an interesting player. He's a, he's a like short, safe passer. He's a decent defender, but he's not the like swashbuckler that Yanel Herrera is. When hmm. Herrera went down, he was doing like eighteen point eight percent of New York City FC's uh, defensive actions, tackles, his, interceptions, blocks. I cannot like, say enough how insane his his defensive action numbers were for that it, position. I mean, he's he's a one man press, and he was the he was the guy holding this team together. So the fact that Domi was able to come in and you know without that like crucial piece in, in the center of the, of the machine to rework the formation in a way that that actually got more expected goals, allowed fewer expected goals. Uh, and, you know, hasn't gotten that lucky with the results, but has a team that, that despite all the, the naysayers on the internet, actually looks to me like a better team than it was under Patrick Vieira. Well, that is interesting. That is not something I really would have guessed. Um, I haven't really looked at the underlying numbers enough. So It's I'm a gonna... really good uh, articulation, too, of the point. Uh, not just they're better, but uh, a really good case in point on why they're better and from a tactical perspective, why they might be better. I think that's really interesting in terms of um, why they, uh, simplistically, why they were so fragile against uh, New York Red Bulls and why that counter press, their their press works so well uh, in counter to what um, NYC was doing. So that's that's a really good short synopsis. I guess what I would say to you is that I don't understand certain things like Eloy uh, uh, Amagat. Um, like I don't, I don't understand. Like him and Castellanos came in uh, kind of midseason. Uh, it seemed like signings I didn't really see a lot of need for. Uh, am I wrong? Have those guys filled like an actual? Uh, I, I feel like you have to get into MLSology to explain either one of those signings. Um, yeah, I, th- I think that Amagat was a cap signing. You know, like. New York City FC was, was fairly maxed out unless they wanted to sign a TAM player. I don't think Amagat's a TAM player. I don't think we've confirmed that. But, like, they were looking for somebody cheap who could fill a hole until Herrera came back, whether at the end of the season or next season. Um, he was somebody that, that Domi actually had, had coached at the beginning of his career at Girona. Uh, so it was somebody who was familiar. He knew his style. He knew he was, like, a savvy vet of, of the Spanish B League. And, like, whatever. He's fine. Like, people hate him because he screwed up in his very first game. And he's... Yeah, he's he's not stellar. He's not terrible. He's just like he's he's a guy who's there to fill a hole. Uh, Castellanos is really interesting to me because Castellanos, I I could have sworn when he came in, was uh, you remember that Paul Tenorio article about the youth transfer fund? Yes, yes. I, I swore that Castellanos was the first youth transfer fund signing because he fit the profile exactly. Uh, there was no other reason to explain why this team was signing young wingers. I mean, yeah, like we never wanted Ron Walls to see the field again, but like. There were there was enough wing talent on this team. I didn't understand why we signed Castellanos. He's been great. Like he's you know he's 19 years old. He's got a lot of room to grow, but he's fine. He's Who else between Jesus Medina do you guys have? Uh, after Jesus Medina, we've got Ismail Tajuri Shradi, who's been also excellent. 
Uh, Love that played guy. on the wing a lot under Vieira, but has been a central striker under Domi, which I think is the right call. Uh, he's a little bit hard to work into the formation, and that's kind of led to some of the tinkering that we've seen under under Torrent. Uh, we've also, of course, got Jonathan Lewis or had Jonathan Lewis until he went out to Louisville uh, last week for a six-week loan that he engineered himself. Did you see this? Like this guy has. I didn't know that he engineered it himself. He, he did. I like he, it a he lot like, now. Basically, he... worked as his own agent. He saw James Sands go to Louisville for two weeks and come back and get the starts against New England and DC. And Lewis said, "Well, you know, if I'm going to rot here on the bench because I'm under Castellanos and I might even be under Wallace, I'm going to go to Louisville and I'm going to get some playing time." And he talked it through with Domi, and everybody agreed. And now he's he's out there. I think he's doing well. I don't know. I haven't checked in in the last game or two, but uh, yeah, that's he's, great. He's, he's still on the radar. Um, it's hustle. Then, I like for, it. Good for him for doing that. Yeah. 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 Good for him. I, I, I think that I don't know whether he has a future with this team or not. I do think that, you know, I do think that Domi cares about starting young players. He's got a team of guys who came from La Masia, from Barcelona's academy, who like are used to working in these 18 and 19 year olds into a first team. It's really tough because NYCFC doesn't have a USL team to like build that bridge. Um, you know, we've got to ship them off on, on random loans to other teams, but. I, I do think that with a little bit of time, this coaching staff is going to figure out a, a plan for guys like Lewis and guys like James Sands, who's also been excellent in the in the time that he's been given the last uh, month or two. All right. Let's look at some team stats for New York City Football Club. Possession, 57%. I do believe that would be the highest in the league. I don't have that in front of me, but I'd be shocked if it wasn't. For sure. Uh Expected passing for their seventh in Major League Soccer. Expected passing against second in Major League Soccer. Expected goals for 53.5. That's good enough for third. Uh, expected goals against 38.7. Uh, that's fourth best in Major League Soccer. And expected goal difference 14.8. That's third. Um, I feel like you're kind of looking at the third, fourth, fifth best team in Major League Soccer here. Which you, <laughs> I don't know where you'd have them in that three, but I think that that's the kind of tier that they're still in. I mean, I'm willing. I'm willing to put them in the, in that that tier that comes right under Atlanta, uh, Atlanta and New York Red Bulls. I, I I still think that they're probably better than um, New, than Sporting Kansas City and LAFC. Um, I'm pretty comfortable saying saying that. I, I think that's exactly right. I, I would put the crew in that same tier with uh, maybe maybe the crew's actually up there with New York City FC in, in a separate tier, but. You know, under Atlanta and Red Bulls and, and certainly above, you know, any team that's below LAFC. Yeah. Uh, okay, like individual stat style, uh, top expected goals, no surprise here, 9.9. David Villa, that's 18th in MLS. Top expected goals assisted, Max Morales, 9.2. Third, Major League Soccer. What a what a season that guy's having. I, God, he's been astonishing. I uh, so really love Max Morales a whole, whole lot. since. uh you know, the interesting thing is that New York City FC fans were not sold on him before the season. There was there was a lot of dispute over whether he had been a good uh, signing, and I'm pretty yeah. sure put that to rest by now. Yeah, I think that there were... I think that with him, it was kind of like... People weren't really sure what the product was going to be. Um, I think he was unfairly compared to Giovinco a lot, um, you know, during that time when he was signed last year because he was short also, um, <laughs> which was, I think, extremely lazy. Uh, but uh, nonetheless, uh, you know he's just a, a, a dynamite creator, um, wonderful passer. Uh, yeah, I think Nico Lodero is actually the, the best analogy for Maxi Morales in terms. Yeah, of he's the, what he does he's the Lodero of the East, and I'm mm-hmm. happy with that. Um, he also third Major League Soccer uh, best on New York City for buildup, two point two five, and New York City's best expected passer Alexander Cowens, 
uh, second in Major League Soccer. Um, there's no uh, his first uh, Sean Johnson. I don't know. It's <laughs> a lot of a lot of those passing stats all belong to New York City. Um, yeah, there's a lot on this team. I, I think individually through and through that that that, that, that just so much to like. Um, Matarita is somebody I really enjoyed last year. I, I do think that you know we kind of hinted that earlier this year that his or earlier this show that you know he's kind of been moved around a lot. Um, I root for the spirited man Bergay. I don't I don't know where he fits um, exactly, but I, I hope Nobody they does. find out. Nobody yeah, does. yeah. But, but, but I root but for I, him. I think that you know savvy fans do recognize what he brings to this team. He's not a very technical player, but he's uh, he makes excellent runs. He plays good defense. He's he's a very smart player, and you know if he ever figures out how to kick a soccer ball. Watch out. Watch out. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's get this down real simple, our favorite time. I'm going to start with Harrison on this. Harrison, give me one reason why New York City will not make MLS Cup final. I think sometimes they're prone to errors. And <clears throat> honestly, that back line is going to have to step up at, uh, and be exactly as good as what they um, what they should be. I think they can be a very capable attacking team, but I think where they get exposed at is exactly kind of where Dummy has, has said is in that back line. Sometimes they make some erroneous plays and they get pounced on. And especially against uh, teams like Atlanta and uh, New York Red Bulls, they're going to have to beat those teams. And how you beat them is by not making mistakes. I mean, that's, that's kind of how Atlanta fell over against uh, New York. I mean, among many other things, uh, they just were really error prone. And uh, New York tends to do that to you. Atlanta can do that to you as well. And so uh, they just can't beat themselves. Uh, I know that's a cliche, uh, but uh, it's a cliche for a good reason, right? Like there's there's games that you just go into and you just don't play your best. You get rattled. You get you know uh, frustrated. And uh, so I think that that's kind of um, that back line. That I would say the back six. That would be what I'd be most worried about. And I think uh, if Yangel Herrera comes back, I mean, obviously that situation gets all the more better. Um, and to be perfectly honest, I think that's what uh, I, I think Dome is trying to fix that. And I think what he's been trying what he's been trying to do has worked out really well from a from an underlying numbers perspective. Can Can I talk about Ben Sweat some more? Do it. So okay, okay, so. When, when I was doing this research to prove scientifically that Ben Sweat is bad at defense and should not have blocked me on Twitter, I turned to some very smart people on the American Soccer Analysis team, uh, Elliot McKinley and, and Matthias. I have no idea what – how do you say Matthias's last name? Cool, Watts. Thank you. So these very smart people helped me uh, to demonstrate uh, ver- using various statistical methods that Ben Sweat is, is statistically significantly bad at defense, that – if you look at the uh, left back zone, which is where a lot of these errors that Harrison is talking about uh, come from, at least on the defensive side, uh, when Ben Sweat is in the game versus when Ben Sweat is out of the game, there's a statistically significant difference in how many passes uh, opponents attempt and how many passes they complete. Uh, the completion rate is is much higher when Sweat is on the field in that zone. Uh, it's not statistically significant there, but uh, also it's it's higher. This is This is an interesting part. If you compare, okay, the left-back zone to the right-back zone, when I'm talking about zones, imagine the defensive third. Imagine splitting it into four parts. And then imagine looking at just the outer quarter of the defensive third. You with me so far? Mm-hmm. Yes, Matt Pence, we are with you. <laughs> okay, so, so you've got your, your left-back zone out there where it's you know primarily the, the defensive responsibility of Ben Sweat. 
When he's on the field, opponents pass much more in that quarter of the defensive third than in the right-back quarter of the defensive third. When he's off the field, that switches. That is Anton Tinnerholm, who's, who's very good, but you know also has a little bit of a defensive... Uh, he's, he's more of an attacking fullback, right? Mm-hmm. When, he, when Ben Sweat is off the field, the opponents attack the right-back zone. So they are specifically targeting Ben Sweat out of all the New York City defenders, and that's all I have to say about that. Uh, what, what, what Harrison said is true, right? Individual errors are what's going to beat this team. And people have been down on Domi lately uh, because he has said, you know, the team is actually playing pretty well in games like against Montreal and Minnesota, games that if you watch them, you're like, actually, the team played like shit. They they didn't get results against teams that are not that great. Uh, but what they are doing is building a possession game in the middle of the field. They're building kind of a repeatable style that can control a game. And Domi seems to think that those individual errors are just going to take care of themselves after a while. I'm not sure in Sweat's case that they will. But I do think that, you know, when you've got a full-strength lineup, when you've got your Villas in, your Morales is in, uh, your Macharitas in, left back, like this team is, is can compete with any in the league. Well, I've been sweat relation to block you on Twitter. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, on the more positive side of things, Harrison, one reason NYCFC will make the MLS Cup final. David Villa. I mean, <laughs> we, 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 you kind of mentioned it subtly uh, when we were talking about uh, Carlos Vela, but uh, David Villa is exactly, um, he's a game changer. We can see that, um, you know, yeah, so they were really good while um, he was, I, I shouldn't say really good. They were, uh, they were, they were pretty decent, right, at generating opportunities. Um, They're still above average. Uh, that was uh, kind of due to uh, what, Tajardi, uh, uh, Shradi, um, Izzy, is that what you guys say? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, Izzy's been phenomenal, and yeah, he's really exceeded uh, his underlying numbers, but he's still been really, uh, I shouldn't say really good, like, I don't want to emphasize this, but he's been good. He's been, he's been yeah. really good. And you so can say really. at the same time, uh, I think that this uh, is an attack that can uh, overcome uh, certain situations. I think they can be the better attacking team um, in most scenarios. And in some cases, I feel like they're going to have to be uh, to kind of overcome some of the situations. Uh, again, we would look at the underlying numbers and they're really good as far as expected goals against. But um, e- even if you're not giving up, you know, really good opportunities, um, if you're doing so against, you know, maybe in three on two situations or two on two situations that those aren't great, great scenarios. You know, you're going to outperform your expected goals and when you, in certain scenarios. Um, so, uh, yeah, it, like I said, it kind of comes down to a, um, whether or not that defensive line is going to make mistakes or B that attacking team can just overcome the mistakes that, that the defense makes. All right. I'm Give it to me. Why is NYCFC going to make the final? I'm, I'm going to disagree with Harrison. When I came into this season, I thought that WBA was the sine qua non. He was the essential piece of this team. Sine qua non. Morales, clearly, like, Morales never misses a minute, so we don't have to worry about that. But after Maxi Morales, Yanhel Herrera turned out to be the piece that we just could not live without. Mm. We even got by without Alex Spring for a little bit, but Yanhel Herrera, like, losing him changed this team's play style. And if we want to talk about reasons why NYCFC is being severely underrated right now, just go to Jan Herrera's Instagram and like look at the videos of him working out in like Battery Park, where I don't even know where he is. But you know, the dude like climbed up a mountain the other day. He's getting very close to coming back on the field. And when he does, I don't know if this team's gonna have enough time to like figure out its tactics again to work him back in. 
but I do know that, that he's going to change the complexion of what NYCFC is capable of. And also, I believe in them. Um, all right, that's it. We did it. Thank you. Thank you for coming on the show today, Dummy Run. Uh, people can find you on Twitter, at the Dummy Run, correct? That's me. All right, uh, be sure to give him a follow. Uh, people can find my co-host Harrison on Twitter, at Harrison underscore Crow. And of course, if you're so inclined, you can find me on Twitter, at a handle for Ian. Uh, please follow American Soccer Analysis on Twitter. That handle is at Analysis Evolved. And guess what I'm going to say next? Visit the website, www.americansocceranalysis.com. Uh, content going up every day uh, next week, I believe. Um, so always worth swapping in, checking out, and becoming a more informed and empowered soccer fan. Uh, thanks, as always, for listening. We'll be back next week. And until then, enjoy the soccer. song